If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Find out how they can assist you with buying a new car or purchasing a new home. You can learn more at NavyFederal.org. One of the reasons me and Marcus were successful in our military careers is because we had an institution, a culture that was willing to listen to subject matter experts, and we took that information and applied it to our lives. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't so buckle up, Buttercup. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you guys for listening, watching, viewing, and please hit that subscribe button if you want to keep seeing more shows. So before we dive in today's very special guest, let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day is what causes the most harm in the world, but is completely avoidable? Alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, man, you just shifted the question and went real deep then. I was like trash. I think trash laying around everywhere is the one thing. I think alcohol, because when you drink too much, you become a complete asshole. And it causes a lot of Yeah, I'm going to say the lack of common sense. I mean, the... Common sense is not so common anymore, but if if more people paid attention to just having a little bit of common sense, most of the things that you see go wrong are because of the lack of it. So uh, common sense could go a long way. Yeah, I agree with that. That's good. That is true. I wonder if we plug a lot of stuff in front of us that doesn't allow us to look common. Yeah. Gets in the way of all that. We have too much That's right. Complacency. It breeds complacency. At a minimum, it breeds complacency. All right. What do you got? Better be good, too, because you just got out of freaking college and it cost us a fortune. Yeah. What's your I want to say just like how divided the political world is. I think that's something that's avoidable, but I don't know. It causes so much harm just because everybody's always on an opposite side. Wow. That's a great answer. That was good. Yeah. (laughs) The polarization. Yeah. Yeah. Nice job. All right, brother. Thanks again for coming on here and doing that, man. Well, Let's, what uh, was what was your question or what was your uh, your thing? His was trash. Trash. He hates trash. Marcus. That's right. Literally picks up trash like, and this is not a, like I'm not putting him down or anything. We'll be walking yes, into. She is. The, no, I'm not. I get, dude, I get bro. I get made fun. Of, and my God, they I'm make fun, fun of, of me for picking up trash. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you. Have you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> I am not making. fun I of you. I pick up trash all the time. He I, picks up, I cannot. It's a thing not for us, man. I, you know. Everywhere we go, he'll even pick up. 
discarded face masks. That's the only thing I'm like, babe, don't touch those. Do you realize that we went to Iraq and Afghanistan and I've had everything known to man shoved through my body, dude. I, the whole premise behind trash, it's just, you can pick it up. I yeah. mean... I love that you pick up. Now I, our, our oh, and when you're it. with me, it's really a thing because my queen doesn't walk over trash. <laughs> I told you that when we got married. That's that's the main reason why I do it. I love that you do it. I'm just saying. Those I don't get any props for that. So that might be the coolest freaking line I've ever said in my entire life, dude. <laughs> yeah, you did good. Delivery was that was pretty too. cool. You that was good. sweet. You did good. All right. Well, let's get into your story. Um, so we have a lot of friends in common, um, but I don't. We've never had the chance of hanging out with you. But we do have, like, everyone who endorsed your book, we're friends with. So <laughs> we really have a, cool. a lot of friends in common. So um, if you can just tell us where you're from, give us a little background about who you are. Because if it's anything like all of us, and the fact that we're we kind of we're still together after all these years, it's almost like when we were born, we were separated, and all guys had to go through all that shit, and now we're here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're the last guys that should ever had one of these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the best that we do. I'm so, and now we got this too. I mean, we do got some pretty cool toys, man. You gotta, you gotta admit <laughs> that. I mean, now I got a it, few. It, it, it is. So, where this? Where'd you start at? Where were you born? So I was, um, I was born in a military family. I was actually born in Fort Ord, California, um, which is an old military base that doesn't exist now, uh, right in right near Monterey, California, where my dad was in the infantry at the time. Um, he separated from the army. And we moved back home where his mom was at the time. My whole family's from Georgia. So we got a, a Southern upbringing, but they all relocated to Daytona Beach, Florida, where my granddad got a job at uh, the Greyhound uh, races. They used to race Greyhound and oh, do nice. highlight yeah. all the gambling stuff. And then um, I grew up in Daytona Beach for a period of probably about seven, eight years and split the difference between my mom, because my mom and dad were separated between Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, right outside of Fort Bragg and then Daytona Beach. So growing up in a military family, um, both with my mom's side, her her new husband was in the uh, Air Force at the time. He retired in the Air Force, continued that service. So I was immersed in this kind of military environment and uh, at the age of 17, decided to join the Army. I mean, like any kid who grows up in a military family, I was like, well, I know I know my path. And I joined the army at the age of seventeen in the now, 90s. Was it because of them, and, or uh, was started be- my journey? Was it because of them, or was it? Do you have any siblings? Yeah, so I was an only child, but had lots of cousins. All right, had, so was um, it the mo- what movie got you? I think it was a combination of Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, and Rambo. Such a great if combo. You could, I think yeah. that's such a great drink. I think that's such a fantastic drink, man. Because that's one of the ones that got that. That I went that route too, man. And back in those days, the, the movies they were putting out were the best recruiting tools ever. Hands down. They were. They were. And they showed the they were showed the real side of it. It wasn't all glamorized. I mean, Rambo is a story about a Vietnam veteran, Green Beret, who comes back and the sheriff messes with him and he burns the entire place to the ground. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a bro. I mean, come, it took, yeah, as intense as like, it could get. Thank you, Stallone. I mean, that I try to model my, you know. <laughs> My adventure life after that dude. He kind of laid the blueprint out for all of us. I was motivated. I was motivated by those movies. And certainly, th- at the time, at least, Hollywood wasn't afraid to tell the doom and gloom and, and the realness of like what you were getting into. So I think resilience and all the stuff that we talk about in the book 
those things were built at a very young age, probably from those movies. In fact, um, Navy SEALs, which still to this day is one of my favorite. It's the greatest movie ever made. It's ever made. With Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Charlie Sheen. When he comes out (laughs) of the rafter with the MP5 SD. Oh, that's so good. That's my favorite scene of any movie. That and him jumping off the Jeep. Off the bridge. When he jumps off the bridge and when he wakes up on the beach in the morning. I mean, that <laughs> sold me. I, I, whatever that life right there. When I saw that, I was like, "I'll take it." What year did that come out? I, I, the year I hit puberty I, is when it happened, <laughs> oh man. That, that's like, that freaking movie. Eighty-five, eighty-six, eighty-five. Yeah, eighty-five. I think it had to be eighty-five because eighty-five was a great year for movies. It just absolutely was. But but for sure, yeah, we're Charlie Sheen. I'm a Charlie Sheen era seal. <laughs> for sure, man. That guy. That uh, he, he nailed it. That was a good one. All right, so the last right, let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. When you were, uh, your, your dad was up, so Vietnam was with your pops, right? And then your mom lived down in Daytona? No, opposite. No, my, my dad was actually with his, we, we moved down because of his mom. Okay, so we were in Daytona Beach. And he worked in law enforcement. And then um, my mom remarried an Air Force guy, my, who's my stepdad today. And he was a A-10 armament guy. Right. And then he, he flopped over to the uh, civil service side and did armament systems on a10s afterwards so i was immersed in it either way my uncle was in the navy my mom, my uncle retired out of the navy after 20 years um and then my dad did i think 13 years in the army so I, it was just something that we we lived in and were Man, immersed in as kids I, I heard they're trying to get rid of the a10 Oh yeah, that? they're still trying. They they did. I mean, when we were on active they, duty they together, they freaking better not. They man. tried. I mean, that thing's a legend. Yeah, it a, is a freaking legend. It's earned its place. I I completely agree. I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for those suckers. That's the arm Same. of God or the hand. No, of it's not the finger of God. That's or, a different one. Man, this is the the dragons that come through the sky. They got those huge yeah. uh, mouths on the side of them, and they you can hear them rattling from the sky, and they have this huge cannon right in their nose. And when they open that sucker up, I mean, it's the most impressive thing. It, I mean, is that a GI Joe cartoon? You guys, never mind. But it, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so mind. funny. Yeah, right. So, I mean, just the coolest aircraft ever. And they're trying to decommission that sucker, man. And they got an entire base dedicated to them. It's right off the side of that. That's where I saw them for the first time when I was at Bragg. Yeah, Pope Air Force Pope, Base. They Pope had Air a, Force Base. Yeah, man. a whole side of the base committed to them, and uh, I, you know, I I certainly had a good run with them in SF, and um, I just grew up in that world. You know, yeah. looking up, seeing C one thirties and paratroopers cool, getting pushed out, and you know, growing up at Daytona Beach with my uncle and his brother, like every, everything was battle fatigues and playing in the in the wood line with the guns. It's just how I was raised, and so it was just natural that I, I knew I was going to join the army. You said you joined at 17. What year was that? Uh, 97. Okay, so it's pre 9 1900s, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> the last analog. That's it. The last analog. Oh, yeah, society, man. We came society. online before online came online. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I did four years in the infantry and then um, went SF right after 9 11 and then spent the rest of my time as a, a Green Beret until. I got out as a sergeant major in 2016. Wow, really? Nice, and, man. And then started contracting with the CIA. Nice. Do you want to talk about any of your career? Or what do you was want to go in? I'll talk about and it what all. Whatever you, whatever you guys want to Yeah, hear. let's go into his career, whatever he's willing to talk about. So you, when you came into the Army, did you go in? Where'd you join at? Join in at Bragg? Is there like a, a depot around there somewhere where you yeah, went? Yeah, actually, I actually went through in Florida and then went through Jacksonville, Florida. And then 
went straight to Fort Benning, Georgia, the infantry yeah. um, schoolhouse. Yeah, and then you did four years, and then Green Beret. So when you did that, did so that would have been right after nine right eleven. Yeah. Were you one of the first to actually deploy into Afghanistan? No, I wasn't because I was in at that time selection, known as SFAS, Special Forces Assessment and Selection was very short but the q course the qualification course depending on your job was long what are you so both both during the invasion of afghanistan and the invasion of iraq i was in the qualification course mm. getting my mos qualification my oh, military specialty that i thought that was the best time to get do, to be doing that, that that's yeah. when i was going through too brother man because i i'm a delta and yep. i didn't know anything i thought See, it was a toss-up between Commando and Rambo and SEALs got me. <laughs> you, tra you tracking? <laughs> so when, when I came over to brag to go through the Q course, I didn't know that the Delta selection sucked as bad as it did. The 18 Delta? Yeah, yeah, 18 Delta. Delta. I mean, yeah. Dude, it's freaking miserable, man. I mean, it's like, they called it Shawshank Prison. And they were throwing all these lines at me, and I, I just wasn't paying attention. I, I, you know, I didn't know... Well, it's not like it's not miserable. It's just like living with a different part of the family, man. Like, you don't know what the hell's going on until you get in there with them. But... The, the the greatest part about SF selection, man, is those Q courses. They suck, man. Each one of them are different, but ah, dang, man. And going yeah, through so that, it was a it was a long suck, right? It, yeah. it, it's not like a short duration thing. I, I think my Q course lasted two years. Yeah. So, and that included the hardest component of it wasn't small unit tactics. It wasn't Robin Sage. It wasn't all these high speed training uh, blocks. It was uh, language training. I had to go learn language which for me was i was lucky because i got french you get? french because i was going to third group nice um so french for me was you know i'm a half korean dude learning french going to the middle east i don't know how that worked <laughs> out but i mean some of you guys would get languages and like that doesn't even make sense why in the, yeah. why in the hell I, and it's like because you know they don't look at your pictures right they just look at the numbers and all the quals i think sometimes because some of the guys i mean for as diverse as our fraternity is, especially when they mix us together, we can fit in anywhere. Yep. But like there's some 100%. dudes you're not supposed to send my white ass over to. They'll know I'm not I don't belong there. <laughs> and then they got some guys who can literally pull off anything, like from a gang member to an undercover Muslim to a anything to a white dude. I mean, no matter what they put on, they look like they can just blend in. And they, they made the yeah. best operators. Them guys freaking made the best operators. And they're the ones you don't know about. Like we I, we kind of stand out, man. Those guys, they they they're good at what they do, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I wish they would have thought about that a little bit. But like you said, at the time, it was very analog. There was not advanced databases and algorithms no. detecting anything besides a rank and you know your last four. So I I would I became an eighteen Bravo. I was a weapons guy, and went through the Q course. Um, my first rotation was 05 in Afghanistan. Oh, I was wow. my company. I don't know if you know Travis Osborne. Yeah, yes. he was. Yeah, he was one of the medics that uh, was there with you. I, he was in my company. We were in the same company at the same time. Where were you so guys at? I was so I was in Naray 
when all that went down and then they pulled everybody from J bad and right. pulled some guys out of a bad, right. but I was in, I was in Naray and they told us to, because we were the furthest Northeastern firebase of that location. They staged birds at our place and just told us to hunker down and just stand by to stand by. Yeah. Travis is a good friend of ours. He was on the podcast a few months ago. Yeah, me and Travis grew up in Charlie Company, 2nd Battalion, 3rd Special Forces Group, and then Kent Solheim, Dude, who is... Solheim. Um, Have you seen him lately? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah Bro, he looks exactly the same, and that damn kid of his looks is better looking than he is. <laughs> oh, I know. He's like... Well, he was on the... He was a dive team TL at the time in 05, but he became one of my TLs. Uh, a following rotation. Yeah. You know what? Is that I was who you call when he got yeah. shot? F that dude. You want to talk about Captain America Kendall? Oh yeah, he exists. The, the, yeah, the, 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 he's a the, stud. The dude that that the, the, what y'all think Captain America would look like and what it, it, he exists. Yeah, Marcus yeah. always he's the brags. He's me off the mountain. Yeah, Marcus always brags that he looks just like a Ken Barbie doll. You like, saw him. His hair. I mean, he like does. He, after what was that? That thirty mile ruck run. His hair still parted on the side, real perfect, all blonde. He's got that yeah. dentine smile. Am I lying? <laughs> no, Bro. he's and he's got one leg now. And he's, he's got, got one shot leg. in Iraq. And he still runs and, faster than I do. And, and he still runs like elite level triathlons. <laughs> and, and and his son, I think, just graduated West Point. He, he, he did, bro, and, and yeah. it's through the. It's going, I think it's going through Q or already has already been through Q. Yeah, and he looks just awesome. like him, like a. And I, not, I'm not talking about a mini me either. The, the kid's freaking j- yoked out. Looks yeah. good. And Kent Kent's always been a stud, and I mean he's a group commander now. I mean he's like he's like a, he might even be done with his group commander time. That was like a year and some change That's ago. That's true. That's true. He's an old man. Yeah, I thought he was like a what I don't know the ranks, but he's super high up. Yeah, he's that's an 06. What he's, that's what I'm trying to say, but yeah. he still runs and does all like normally you get your ass as you go up, you don't have to do all that beat down stuff. He still still does it. Last year, uh, for the Operation Red Wing anniversary, uh Kent I had Marcus out to like was it Benning? No. Where he went? And don't Wait. even ask me the name of the damn base. I can't remember it. Yeah, I, knew, I, it was, I didn't know there was gonna be a test. It I, was I outside of yeah, I, it was outside of Fayetteville. Me, I forgot the name of the base. Um, it's top secret. Yeah. <laughs> it was outside of Fayetteville, but they did. That's why like, we say that, by the way. If we can't remember, it's Clues Class Bud. They did a uh, a recap, like an actual brief on that whole mission and what y'all, the Green Berets, did um, on how to get him out of there and like the strategies, what they could have learned from. It was this big, huge kind of learning course that they did last. It was have last you talked June to Bo lately? I haven't. I have I've lost contact with a lot of those dudes, but I, I they're not on with, social media like I am, and so it's harder to get yeah, contact they're, with them. They're not. I keep in touch with Mario and Bo, a bunch. Of, I talked to Mario yesterday, and we kind of cycle around periodically throughout the year. I, I'll add you on that, man, if you want. If you want to keep in touch, after, that's awesome. Yeah, it'd be cool, man. I, all those dudes. I mean, we were all in the same company together, and there's some good dudes that were that were there. I mean, um, uh. I grew up with those guys. Those guys, some of them, like even Travis, was like a mentor to me because I was a young dude, younger than he was. He was young at the time too. Yeah. And then we both went to the CRIF together, the, the Commanders and Extremist Force later on together. But um, yeah, man, those guys are rock stars. Those I think my, it was it was better group. for us too coming up in, in a wartime environment. I think the training's different. You know, they, it's not that they were slack on us; they were harder on us. But then they were. A lot of dumb stuff fell away from us. Like we didn't have to deal with it. 
And then everything was was like we needed it. It came in there, and and all, we're all still hanging out together. As a matter of fact, I mean, think about it. He's he's in the army. We there's no reason why we should know each other, or or know yeah. anybody in, in our same in our same circle, right? But we freaking do. Not only that, we served with them. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I remember, I remember actually leaving that rotation, and right before I ripped out because we we they extended our trip because of all the things that were going on at the time, and it, it was a, supposed to be a six month rip, yeah. and, and it wound up being like a nine monther. But the day before I ripped out, I had one, I had dinner with one of my third group buddies, Eli, and he was with one of the last team 10 guys that were on the ground and I had dinner with him and we shared some stories. And I remember the, I don't remember the specifics of it so long ago, but I remember the weight of all the things that were taking place and that, and you're right, the, the priorities of work were different for us mm-hmm. guys who are growing up now in the military, the priority of work in garrison is very different than the priorities of work in war. And so we were, we were maintaining, uh, keeping forged and sharp for being able to shape and adapt at the speed of war when now I think a lot of that's lost. And I, and I feel a bad for a lot of the new guys because they live vicariously through the stories that we tell. I and think some that of the experiences happens every generation, right? It has to rotate like that. Yeah. yeah. It was constant. It was constant. Yeah, for your first deployment, that had to be really emotional and tough for you. I mean, when you're trying not to even Where, Where'd put, you go? Where, what was your first one? He was, it was My, in 05. It was in Array. I was in Firebase in Array. No, I know. I was, I'm trying to, when did you come in there? How, how long have you been, were y'all there before, before all that happened? Um, about four months. Four, I was okay, there so we came in the same yeah. time then. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We, yeah, that's so right. we, I was at, I mean, I, I was at the fire base, but we were going. I was ripping back to the the camp there. I think it was Camp Vance at the time. Yeah, Camp Vance. I remember yeah. the first time we were, we pushed out with you guys because I was special deliveries. We got it when we got assigned to ten, and I thought, you know, we got we got a pretty kick ass man. You know, we got to stay on Bagram. There was a there was we could eat and there was all the the food and amenities and stuff like that. Subway. <laughs> yeah, bro. I mean, it wasn't as kick ass as it is now like with the volleyball, but it was it was nice for sure. But when we would when we would bump out to you guys, you know, it, it just looking back on it now, just looking back on it now, is the way they let y'all hang it out there. I mean, they literally dropped you off in the middle of freaking nowhere with just your four wheelers and, and just your crew and, into yeah. a mud hut, right, with a bunch yep. of ammunition, and then they would tell us what to do from there. There's no more hanging your nuts out than that, bro. That, yeah. That's some of the sexiest stuff we. I get the door kick in and all that other stuff we did, but reconning out in Afghanistan, there's no. That's that's Wild West stuff. It was Wild West, man. I it like if I still reflect on that rotation, likely that year. That year, I mean, man. I had a good couple rotations in Afghanistan, but that that year, because of the timing, was the Wild West. I mean, it was crazy, man. It, I've never had so much freedom of movement and seen so many tragic and beautiful things at the same time. So 
obviously that teed you up for a really incredible career that you stayed with for a long time. You said you got out in 2016 and then you went into being a contractor. I got, I just have one question. Is it okay? Real fast. So being a Sergeant major, right? So when you came in and you started at the Q course, by the time you put the Sergeant major on and you had to turn around and teach those guys coming back up, what, what what lesson would you look at? Like There has to have been something when you had that position looking back at yourself that you giggle at. You, that you couldn't believe that you were the boss. You're like, no. Looking back at those young guys coming up. Something like that happened? I was like the first. Um, oh, actually, I was the last group of SF guys before they created new requirements on time and service. Um, I was like one of the last guys to remote so fast. So I was only E7 for two years. I was the E8 for for three years, and then immediately um, my first look, I got looked at for E9. I got picked up, so it happened so fast. I mean, I was a twenty. I, I made the list for E8 at 29 years old, and I was a 30 year old team sergeant, and that's rare. Yeah, but it it always I always looked at it whether I was teaching the guys or doing stuff. I always looked at it as, hey man, you know. I'm young, but I have experiences and I'm going to teach you as many lessons that I've learned over the years as I can, because there's, I, I assume the reason that I got picked up so fast is because the amount of combat time that I did have and leadership roles that I did have. And as a Sergeant Major, it was certainly that case. I think, I, I, I think so I got picked up for Sergeant Major on the reserve component in 19th group in Texas. And I had a guy tell me, a Lieutenant Colonel tell me that I was the youngest Sergeant Major in Texas history wow. to get picked up. So, all right. So it's a big with, deal that you put the Texas thing on it. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love the te the Texas thing is a big that, deal. That's for a me, big man. deal. I, I'm just I'm saying, I'm a big fan it's, of it's, Texas. It's, it's a big deal, man. Texas always treat me proper. I'll, so, uh, all right, let me ask you this: What kind of disciplinarian were you? Were you an asshole, or did no. you? Were you kind of let things? Were you just like understandable? Hey, look, I did that. You did it. Yeah, you didn't do it as well I as I did. I was never the. I was never the the disciplinary unless it came to standards. And so I expected if you wanted flexibility, you had to meet the baseline. And I think a lot of, a lot of guys who wanted flexibility, oh, they overlooked that. Yeah. They did. Hell yeah. yeah. They meet the baseline. So if you met the baseline and if you met the standard and you exceeded the standard, I'd give you all the leeway you would need, all the rope you would need to hang yourself. Man, and that's a natural it, phenomenon. It is. I mean, our guys yeah. that, that put out and freaking squared away, man, and they screw up out, especially when a women or liberty or something like that. Look, they get slack. Hell yeah, they do. You're damn right they do. And they earn that. That's why some of them fools act like that. Because they, yeah. it's, it's like earning money. It's like credit. Hard work is credit or money. <laughs> so yes, when right. you go do that stuff, that's the best way you can, I can explain our guys. Yep. I think we call it blue chips at one point in the military. And if you have blue chips because you earned it, because you're in a, a position where you did the hard work, you gained it through experience, and and there's a, a reason you were there, you were given the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I mean, everybody mess, makes mistakes, but now, obviously, disciplinaries, and depending on what school you come from, we call them square pegs. Yeah. A square peg would burn a man's career to the, to the ground um, with no latitude, and you can't have and breed a group of men who are willing to do the things that you and I did and our peer groups did and still expect them to be on the up and up. It's like 
oh. the analogy, like a Malinois um, analogy. You can't train a Malinois to bite, kill, and thrash and not expect him to be on his best behavior all the time. Yeah, you could train him to be a house pet, but expect he will get nippy and you just have to have that conversation. But to expect that that never happens is, is not a reasonable expectation. Well, man, if they're scared to death, they won't engage. War is dynamic, yeah. especially for us, the GWATs, especially. Like our generations, in, we're, we're closed off now. They're the end of us, they started us and ended us, the GWATs. Yep. Yep. We're completely different than everybody else. So if you train them that way, if they're scared to death, then they won't even engage. We started to see that towards the end. It's almost like, hey, man, you got to trust what you train. You got, you got your best guys. It's going to be your best guys. You know they got a moral compass. It's on point. Right? That's why you give them a little bit of slack because you're putting them in an impossible situation. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're it, good. That, they're that all mentality good. is going to breed cowardice. You, you, have to, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Exactly. Yeah. And there's always the transition and to calm everybody down. I guess that's what they're trying to do is they try to calm us down when we get back. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to enforce the rules. Well, how, how, what do you mean? It's like, well, if you, if you guys walk this way, if you do that, if you don't wear the right uniform, you're going to hear me. I'm like, but that doesn't register to us anymore, right? <laughs> because yeah. it's, there it, needs to be some transitional <laughs> time. I don't know how we got to come up with that. We will one time. I mean, we'll get it done eventually, but just by talking, I never even thought about that period of our life that we do that, but it's a real thing for sure. Yep. So with your career that you had, I mean, starting off on that high note of 05, which was insane in the war, um, going all the way to 2016, right now you're one of the leading survivalists, um, people that look up to for survival and preparedness. What, what can you say are some key points that you took from your career going into that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't think a lot of people, when they look at a career operator or career profession of high risk kind of jobs in the military, they immediately assume the shoot, move, communicate component, the technical skill sets that we developed are the reason why we are the way we are. And what I would say is, my military certainly taught me how to have and develop what we call hard skills, you know, technical skills. But the overwhelming majority of me surviving, of peers surviving, um, had nothing to do with hard skills and everything to do with planning, preparation, attention to detail, culture, uh, physical fitness, health and wellness as a collective. And, and that's important to note. So it's, it's not a hobby. You know, if you're in a profession where you're a special operator and it's not a hobby, it's a lifestyle. So when I teach preparedness and survival, this concept of survival it has nothing to do with hard skills, even though we teach the hard skills, it's, I think it's necessary, but the bigger picture is you have to understand how to operate and be resilient every single day, not just in the worst case scenario. Like if you want to be a good operator or a good survivalist, you got to be a good man as a start point. So a lot of the things that I grew up in and we took for granted because it was just part of the way we were, um, I try to teach in civilians. And and I think, um, you know, I, I weigh getting a good night's sleep over running and gunning with your carbine. And most people in my industry would disagree with that. And I would say, well, if you disagree with that, then look at the de degradation of you as a human being, your mindset, your resilience, your ability to bounce back 
all the things before you even pick up that M4. So you need to take care of yourself. And I I, I think uh, that is what preparedness and survival is. Certainly the hard skills are important, but that's almost an afterthought when compared to all the other things that we talk about. What is... What do you think is the hardest thing to teach someone about preparedness? Uh, resilience by far is the hardest thing to teach. Resilience, I would categorize as mindset. You know, mindset. You don't think that's a, a natural of, occurrence through the situation? Yeah. So, you know, like we heard mindset, like warrior mindset is what we grew I, up I with. I remember right? all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like have a have a strong warrior mindset or um, mindset is everything. And certainly it is. The problem with mindset is there's not a lot of experts or people communicating like the how or the why. Yeah. If I want to be better in my mindset, what do I have to do? Now, imagine in the military, because you have buy-in, because you volunteered, because the people you're with are similar to you, it's easier to develop that warrior culture and mindset because you grow up in it and you're immersed in it. As a civilian, imagine trying to attain that type or high level of mindset and resilience or being the warrior when everybody who you're surrounded with is complacent or sure. not interested in being better. You know, they're just trying to pay the bills. Some think- of them aren't even trying to do that. So resilience is the act of getting up after you've been beat down, figuratively and literally. Mm-hmm. And so trying to teach that in order to develop resilience, you have to expose yourself to new challenges and build adversity through those challenges. Sure. Well, that's what they do to what, us. They switch it on us. Yeah. Which, means, which means that experience is on you. So like people are like, give me the tips and pro tips on uh, building resilience. And I'm like, it's all on you. And they're like, oh, yeah, shit. That's what they do to us. That was a, it, it switches. Yeah. Like most people sit around and wait for the bad time to jump on their ass. We go to it. Mm-hmm. Like we, yes. We, and that's the difference. There's yeah. a, there's we, di- we, and there's we, an attitude difference. And everyone, somebody said this to me the other day, man. It sparked something in my head. I was like, hey, man, throw 50 grand in your pocket and walk around. See what that does to you. After that, throw a damn pistol in your pocket and walk around and see how you feel. It, it physically changes you when yeah. you have something powerful on you. Yeah, like we had we had the opportunity to be voluntold and how then, to develop that, and, and we and, you yeah. sank or swam. How about that? And, and then we yeah. got permission to do it, bro. They backed yeah. us up. Like our, when you have your parents and your and not only the government and your parents rooting for you, but everybody else, and then they made us do that. There, that's there's a natural occurrence that you can't train. It just shows up. With that. That's right. You can't even talk about it. No one knows what it is. No one has any idea when it's going to show up, but it does. And that's the natural occurrence part that no one ever, they always leave that out. But man, you want to talk about a whole different level. So as someone that's been an instructor and you've seen all walks of life, do you think it's possible to teach someone out of the, you know, like the flight or fight kind of thing, the flight part, someone that is just naturally scared uh, I mean, I am that person. If someone comes up to me, like behind me, my first reaction is, 
I I don't have the the um, aggressive stance naturally, but I mean because of Marcus and growing up with a a single dad, I I have been trained to fight back. I've been trained. I can use a weapon very well. But I feel like if I was in that moment, I might need a minute because <laughs> I do have that natural, like automatic scared moment. Do you, as an instructor, do you think that it's possible to train that out of someone? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things in making the correlation with military experience and being a civilian and, and not having that specific experience is the lack of conditioned training under stress. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we teach is exposure through experiences, but that that journey can be your own. It could also be, it could also be conditioned and calculated. We we can create those parameters for you, like we do force on force training. Yeah. We do personal security classes, even coming to a flat range or learning how to stop the bleed. All those things are beneficial in recreating a new baseline. And the things that you're talking about are very natural, like. The idea that you're going to rise to the occasion is a misnomer. You're going to fall to your level of training. And so specifically, training, exposure through experience is going to help you get through these difficult situations, and it can be trained. And you know, we talk about catastrophe. We talk about disaster, the worst case scenario. All that is is a type of stress. It's a high-grade version of it, short duration of time, typically very much intense in volume. When you look at low-grade, it's it's just not as intense. But stress is beneficial because we we go through it every single day. And that stress is a mechanism of survival. It's supposed to drive your behavior, drive your nervous system to allow you to survive through your senses. Mm-hmm. And so... Those reactions are very natural. I think the problem now we have in our society is we have and created a new complacent baseline where now we're in fight or flight because we're stuck in traffic, banging our head off the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. While, you know, we would call that first world problems. But people in real world problems don't do that because they have actual problems. So I think it could be trained. I I think it can be conditioned. And I think most effectively and most important, especially for Americans, doing that allows you to understand your nervous system period and allows you to operate when appropriate at that fight or flight, that sympathetic nervous response that's going to benefit you as a mobilization tactic in survival because it's all meant to benefit you. So I I just think we need to understand it by conditioning ourselves for it, kind of understanding the diagnostic of it. And that's going to make us better, I think, as people, but also as people who respond to stress. Can you tell our listeners exactly what you do? Like, do you have a company that does create those scenarios if they want it privately or for their company or whatever? Yes, I do. So my company is called Fieldcraft Survival. And we've been in business for about eight years now. We do everything from education, which is like the non-in-person version of training, where we do virtual online training on our app. Um, through education on podcast, on YouTube videos, all the things. And then we also provide training in person, which I think is really important. Um, everything from canning and jarring um, all the way to uh, personal defense, but scenario-based training. Um, we also offer experiences in building resilience. Like I have a course called Rewilding, where 
we reset the dopamine um, that's in your head space. That's basically a fog in your head. We clear that fog for you, show you how to do dopamine resets yourself. Uh, and we also uh, provide products. So we offer first aid equipment, stop the bleed, and all the things that we think are essential in living a prepared lifestyle. I have to tell you something. When it comes to inventions, the guys in, y'all's, in, in the SF community come up with the, the the best ways to stop bleeding. To, I mean, you want to talk about a shortcut with tourniquets or, or, or chest seals or anything like that. I mean, some of the best inventions have come out of, out of that community for sure. Yeah. I've, it's almost yeah, like I've SF for yeah. scouts. Like for when you have boy scouts and there's a, there, there needs to be a next level. There needs to be SF scouts. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Yeah. I, right. We want to do, yeah, that's, that's part of, it's on my mind for sure. Like we need to create. Somebody needs to freaking do it. Yeah, we need to create culture back in the the communities. That's that's part of what we try to do with our Philcraft Firebase concept. Is you know we do jujitsu, do gyms, uh, uh, fitness stuff, but we want to be like the YMCA for preparedness in your own backyard. And I, I think that's an important facet. I also think um, focusing on kids and building that resilience in them at an early age is very important. I as well. think it should be. In, I completely agree with that. In our family, if you get your black belt and your Eagle Scout, we call you a black Eagle. <laughs> and I, I think it should be in schools. I think the, instead of PE, especially for the, for the, the young ones, jujitsu, I mean, you get your, your ground game, your base. That's why they call it that. I mean, you start on the ground when you come into this world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, yep. I mean, you're always going to fall down. That's what keeps you strong. You, and, and as far as the stuff that, that you teach, that, it's perfect. They need to have that. And, that, what that does is that opens up their mind to everything else, the world around them. If you have them operating in that, sure. And what you were talking about, that little fight or flight, actually is once you get it, just I completely agree with what he said. Once you train that, which is good, if you have that little pause, because some of us just smack the shit out of it. You know what I'm talking about? Like they'll just, yeah. they'll just automatically go in. If you have that, there is that little pause in between to do that. Yeah, you can, that's called a gap, and you can train, put a lot of training in that, actually. So you don't want to get rid of it, you want to hold on to it. back to what you're doing now are you just doing that in utah or are you go like do you actually go places to do that yeah we do it so we teach in about six to eight different states every weekend um depending on the guys that are on the road um we also have our philcraft hq the headquarters is in heber city utah now we're, we're relocating to about a three times the size almost twenty thousand square foot facility in provo utah um, our first Firebase headquarters will be set up uh, outside of Phoenix, outside of Denver, Colorado, and then the next one would likely be outside of Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, the goal is just to affect the community head-on by having like a access and placement where people can go to get this type of training. Yep. But again, part of the things that we do are a lot of it's virtually. Uh, a lot of it's online. So what are you and doing? Are you pulling the guys back together? Are you like recreating the A teams, putting them back together, and sending them out? I mean, because that'd be, great. bro. For all of our guys yes. getting out, I, I I thoroughly 
agree with some of the guys when there should be a two year enlistment to get out. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's just to yeah. train the just to train the guys to get out because you know how we are. And then once you get out, the, we're already out here waiting on you. When you and I came into this world, man, there wasn't nothing. <laughs> Nobody can do it. There wasn't shit, man. There wasn't no help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're really the advanced team. Like we were the yeah. first ones out. We were the pure advanced team, man. We had to set the <laughs> ground, see what was what, and kind of set set the stakes. And now, now everyone's coming out, which is great because now we can have fun with this. So obviously, you've got teams of people that are doing that in different cities everywhere. It's not you personally aren't in six. Yes, different, I have a company yeah. of a, okay. a lot of employees that that do good work all over the country. I could never do it by myself. Yeah, but I think like what Marcus is saying too is a lot of the task organization and breakdown of how we're building this is based on my experience in the military, and you know, preparing civilians to me is like VSO. It's like village stabilization operations. It's like you want to have access and placement, we'll get into the environment where people live, train and educate them, empower them, and that place will be better. The The, the only issue with the government is they get that right because they use us, but then they screw up the rest because they pull us out. And it, And what I want is to sustain this over the long haul because I think building resilience in American citizens from the ground up, from kids and up, is very important. Uh, which is why we focus on family preparedness. You know what? I never thought about it till you said it like that, but it's it's almost as if all the 20 years we've been away, including that VSO, was training when we got back here. So now it's we actually have to do the VSO. And if you could do it over there in Afghanistan and Iraq where they hated us, especially Afghanistan where they were – I mean, in there, <laughs> yeah. you can definitely do it here with grandma and aunts and cousins. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and, and it yeah. should it, – right? People are like, is it hard, Mike? And I'm like, dude, you know what's hard is like deploying to Yemen and trying to get some Yemenis to to buy into the things that you're talking about with a language barrier, a cultural barrier, and an enemy trying to kill you. I mean, that's this is easy. In French. (laughs) In another language. Try bending French into posture. It sounds awesome. I had to throw that out there because I mean, Marcus's a, twin brother Morgan yeah. had to take French too, and it just, I laugh every time. I'm like, you freaking Texas went to accent, Afghanistan but, uh, and Iraq <laughs> with French. <laughs> I mean, they don't put that into into play either. You know, you got these rednecks rolling in there, got these hardcore country accents, man. They try to <laughs> teach you those languages that just it doesn't. You can't jive those, man. You know, it's, it's funny, man. It is funny. Well, I find what you do fascinating. I come from a single dad before we. Before I ever met Marcus, he was always into being prepared. He was one of the first, you know, like prepper kind of guys um, that I had ever heard about. And I mean, we've always tried to have a, a big vegetable garden. And um, Marcus and I have started beekeeping. And, you know, we try and do all these things to be somewhat sustainable. I mean, we're not 100% so sustainable. I'm kind of guessing the bee thing because every time I get my ass lit up, which is regularly now on the, on the mower, you can handle it, babe. Yeah. You can there are it. there are some benefits and <laughs> this whole farmer business, bro. I thought being in the teams was tough. I, he can <laughs> handle it. He can he can buck and complain a little bit. But he can handle it. The same thing I am. Right? I, mean, I, I am the exact I just, same I just thing. Kept my I'm bees going this morning. He's, I just yeah, went up to him and I was like, I do not want to get hit right now. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I they've not stung me once. Knock on wood, but they keep lighting his ass up. Um. But yeah, we're doing all that. So I'm super fascinated in what you do. I'm definitely more prepared on the the food 
spectrum, the, you know, growing our own food and all that kind of stuff. But like my dad has always been buying a ton of bullets, a ton of, I mean, we even have like a whole closet of arrows. God forbid we need lots of arrows. Um, I mean, work. Yeah. You can reuse them. But I'm fascinated by what you do. And um, I'm so happy you came out with this book. I'll be sending it to everybody in my family. Is there anything else you want to plug about it? Yeah, so no, how, just, how, how does this grow? How do we help you grow this, man? What, what can we do to send? Because we're putting you out to all of our listeners right now. We're just giving a yeah, baseline I, on you. So I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, it's it's an opportunity to get on any podcast and and talk to audiences. Um, certainly, you guys have built a relationship and rapport with your audience. I, I hope that everybody could find value in the idea of being prepared. It's it's always been associated with this tinfoil hat stereotype, which is pretty negative. Mm-hmm. And most people think it's not something that's practically going to help my life. And so what I hope in the book is I make that point, I make that case, and then offer other ways to find and get educated in all, all these things. Because there's a lot of experts out there in their own field of expertise. Like One of the reasons me and Marcus were successful in our military careers is because we had an institution, a culture that was willing to listen to subject matter experts and we took that information and applied it to our lives. They didn't. Ha- they could be not like us, and we could bring them in and go, "Hey, you know, you shoot the best of the world. Can you teach us how to shoot good?" And not everything applied, but a lot of things did. And I hope that's how people will see this. And this is just the beginning, because for me, the virtual education for this, where I've invested a couple years, a lot of time, a lot of effort, and taking the experts, a Green Bray experience is not going to lend itself to being prepared as a civilian. It will help. There are certain parameters of it, but I got a gal named Miss Amber. Miss Amber is a stay-at-home school schooling her kids at home mom that has a lot of expertise that she's offering on the application, the platform. I got you know Kevin Estella, who's a bushcraft expert. You won't find me naked and afraid rubbing sticks together in the woods. That's just not me. But he is <laughs> that guy who will do that all the time. That's the best. And he's the expert. So our goal is to provide that value. Um, the the application is on a QR code on the back of the book. If you want to continue that education, uh, look into it and just give it a shot. That That's ex- exactly what we're trying to do is spin that wheel together so when someone checks in and they need an operator in any condition, and you, that cracks me up with a tinfoil hat, guys. Which is not my dad, by the yeah, way. I need no. to clarify no, no, that. No. He's not like a weirdo prepper. He, hey, we have him. He's just and, and always here's, here's what happens is we, we have one of them. So his job is to make all of us the tinfoil hat, and that, that'll be one section. But then we got the guy who's good with the gun, and we teach yep. him hat, right? Yeah, and, and we don't training. alienate him because for whatever reason, that sucker's yeah. here. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and what we know, for whatever reason, we have him. I was like, man, why is that guy here? We don't ever use him. Watch. Something will freaking happen, and, and we'll need that guy for something. So Yeah, 100%. 100%. Everybody's an asset on your team. You can't believe it. That's the one yeah. thing that it taught us, and, and, and when we learned over there is because everything got removed from us except for us. I mean, we just had each other to survive. I used to get on to James so much about one of my teammates. About, he, he brought every piece of gear. I mean, it took forever to load and unload. <laughs> And I would get on his ass about it, and, t- and then over when we would be over there, sure enough, I'd freaking need something. And he had it. And he would have it. <laughs> and he'd have that look on his face, like I you feel know. like that's you. 
It's me now, but I had to learn that from okay. somewhere. I had to learn it from that guy. <laughs> when we travel, I'm the light traveler. That. I don't bring anything. And Marcus has like a backpack of batteries. And I got affected out like a like, med bag, bro. There's I mean, all I, you know, kinds of shit same, in this I'm that bag. Guy. I'm that guy too, man. He has like every charger, all these things. And I bring I do nothing. my, you know, the color coded, the shirts, the dollar bills in your wallet. You I remember I tried to adjust you her wallet to. one time and she about lost her mind on me. Because like I'm living that prep life. Yeah, you're prep, living that yeah. prep life. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I am definitely like a. I'll buy it at Walgreens wherever we are. I got trainers like the rest of my guys. I freaking still do all of it. You know. Well, he hey man, cool. How can how can we follow you, man? How can everyone else uh, keep tabs on you? It's it's mainly PhilCraftSurvival.com and PhilCraft on everything that we're doing. I got a personal channel. It's uh, Mike Glover Actual on YouTube, and then you guys can see see me on. Uh, uh, Instagram, it's Mike.a.glover. Are you making your own blades? Are you uh, any hardware or anything? No, we we use. There's a couple companies like Montana Knife Company. We work with. Are they as our a guys too? Are they your partners, like from the SF, or are these guys you just met up with, or or how's that work? They're a combination of just good people that I've interoperated with at some point, and people who we just met who are doing good things. We, yeah, we just got a couple parameters like they got to be willing to support America. Um, you know, that's how there, we do. There's this. a few things in there. That that's exactly how we rebuild it from the inside out, and it starts with us. I mean, when yep. people ask me, yeah, I get you know the genuine questions we get. Like, hey, what's the best pistol? Well, you know, I, I go get every single one of them. Lay those yep. suckers out. <laughs> <on the phone. laughs> you need them all. Oh, you need them all. You got to have every single one of them. Lay them out there. But I mean, now we know guys who got out and make knives, and which yeah. I think some of our guys yep. and even watches everything. I mean, just yep. wait. J- just wait to see what what comes out of our our generation, man. I just think it's going to be amazing, and we're just kind of getting started with it. So, I used to yeah. host an all women's uh, shooting camp at our family ranch, and oh, it was really cool. uh, this group it called was, Babes with Bullets would come out, and these all these female instructors from all around the world. The best, and they brought every pistol, every. That you can buy. <laughs> Couldn't they, believe it, bro. They would. They would bring every single one, every size out there, and they said, shoot every single one and see what you're most comfortable holding. That's right. It yep. wasn't until that moment that they first came out, and they, we did it for several years in a row, but the first time I did, I picked up every pistol, and I used to think, because I have real small hands, I'm real short, that I needed a small pistol. My favorite pistol is huge. It's that HK. It's big, and that, and it's heavy. I would have never in my life thought that that's what I wanted to have, and it's it's my go-to. I freaking love yeah. it, and it's because that's I, important. Yeah, I got to actually yeah. shoot every single one and know what I was a better performer with and what I was most comfortable holding. Um, yeah. So that is a good point for people just to try everything and see because you don't. What you think a, that fits was, doesn't. That was a great part about our generation, too, coming through with our kit. It's like you could actually tailor it. To, you knew when you'd run into one of us. Yep. Nothing looked. Yeah. I mean, our, our hat and our pet, not even our hats, our pat, there would be a patch on there you had to look for. Yeah. No, no, I mean, we, no. were, we were figuring it out. Wrote, I mean, not even rotation to rotation, mission to mission. mission we're to figuring mission, it yeah. out. You know, we started with like holsters on our ankle and it moved all the way up our leg <laughs> and then it's I mean, on our chest and then it's moving back down to our hip. It's like, that evolution uh, changed based on the environment. How about and, that? That and, and the guys with you, hey man, do I look cool? Because I feel freaking cool, man. <laughs> and then they'd be like, "You look cool, but it's not really operational." And I'm like, "Well, yes. you know, I don't know." 
I, I gotta look. I don't like a jackass running through here. I, is that that's real? I'm not lying. That is a real yeah. thing for us, man. Because yeah. guys would tell you, be like, "Hey, you fucking look good doing that, bro." Right. <laughs> as long as you look sexy. Well, thank you so yeah, much bro. for coming Thanks on. Thanks for doing this, man. If you're ever in the Houston area, uh, or whenever you come next, hit us up. Come out to our place. I would love that. I appreciate you guys, what you guys are doing as well. And uh, it was an honor being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. We'll see you guys next week.